In this episode, I'm joined by Nicola Parulo, who is a professor of aesthetics at the University of Gastronomic Sciences in Italy. In this episode, we discuss his book, Taste as Experience, The Philosophy and Aesthetics of Food, alongside discussions on John Dewey, The Hierarchy of the Senses, why the aesthetics of food and taste is often overlooked in philosophy, and more. I'd like to say a big thank you to my paid patrons and subscribers for making everything I do possible. And if you would like to support Metics for as little as $2.50 a month via our Patreon, please find links in the description below. It is very much appreciated. Also, if you would like to join the community, there's links in the description below. Enjoy. So, Nicola Prulo, thanks very much for joining us on Metics podcast. Uh, we are going much. to be discussing your book, Taster's Experience, The Philosophy and Aesthetics of Food, which, as you just told me, is published was published in 2012 in Italian, 2016 translated to English uh, by Columbia University Press. Um, and as we were sort of saying there, I thought there was a bit less, but I don't know as much as you. There are a, a fair few books on the philosophy of food in uh, in English and in different languages, but there is there is not anywhere near as many as there would be on other subjects. It's a sort of criminally overlooked area of philosophy, which I'm sure we'll get into. But before we do that, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is uh, what it is you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, hello, thank you very much for the invitation. I am uh, a philosopher. I am a professor of uh, aesthetics, uh, to be more precise, and... Uh, I have been interested in food and uh, wine uh, since uh, the 90s when I was a student, but not for academic reasons. It was just my passion. And then after many years, I joined my academic background with this passion. So I came to philosophy of food and uh, philosophy of wine after many years of practicing it as just amateur, as just uh, uh, passionate. So um, I have a long experience in the field and I started to, to write academically um, about 15 years ago, in 2005, 2006, I started to write some uh, uh, studies into Italian and uh, this is how I, I started. And uh, I wrote many, now after 15 years, many articles, essays, and books uh, about the topic. And it is an increasing field. Uh, you are right, there are not so many books yet, uh, not so many studies. But for example, in 2018, the very uh, well known uh, journal, The Monist, uh, dedicated one uh, issue to food, and uh, uh, this meant a lot, because The Monist is a very classic philosophical journal, and very much focus on uh, very serious questions, very uh, formal questions, uh, and so that they decided to open, to explore a theme like a food, it was uh, a sign of the times. So it is an increasing field. Okay, okay. And you are, uh, I believe, head of gastro- gastronomic 
I, uh, there is a university in Italy that is called University of Gastronomic Sciences, which is uh, a special place, a quite unique uh, experiment. It's a, a whole university where there are programs all focused on food from different perspectives uh, with the multidisciplinary um, programs. And uh, I... I have a position, I am full professor there in this university. It is a private university, but uh, it is uh, completely legal uh, from the point of view of the... It's not a cooking school. It's a school, it's an institute that uh, gives uh, the background and the education about food and what we call gastronomic sciences uh, under uh, many different perspectives from uh, hard sciences to social and sciences and humanities. And there is also philosophy and I teach there. Okay. Is, is there any cooking at all in that school or is it purely theoretical? No, we have, uh, there is just one um, program, one, uh, one year program, uh, of applied gastronomy that is uh, devoted to culinary arts. And uh, so it is about cooking, but uh, this is the only one. Uh, most of our programs are uh, uh, focused on education for people that want to work uh, in the field of food, but more as uh, um, management, uh, communicators, uh, educators, uh, people that want to promote uh, food, uh, mostly from the cultural perspective. So to give to the people more and more uh, the uh, witnessing of the importance of food, because sometimes, as you said at the beginning, Food, it is something that we all have to engage in. So it is something that we all uh, are facing with. But it is uh, maybe because of that uh, still largely uh, underestimate. Maybe because it is uh, all over. Uh, so when something is very common and it is very... Uh, ordinary object, as we say in philosophy, ordinary objects are normally the objects that are more uh, underestimated. And uh, today there are some streams also in philosophy and aesthetics that want to restore the importance of ordinary objects. So we have ordinary aesthetic, uh, everyday aesthetics, uh, the, the aesthetics of everyday life, uh, philosophy that treat it's uh, about uh, simple, uh, simple experiences uh, that we make in life, and uh, food uh, is part of this uh, new wave, let's say, of philosophy uh, toward this kind of uh, objects and this kind of analysis. And we can start from these ordinary objects to make also very high metaphysical, ontological, and epistemological arguments, of course. Hmm. Okay, okay. I mean, we'll definitely be jumping back to that idea of why it's been ignored, but um, I'd like to get the Midix question out at the start here. 
Um, and normally, you know, so the question is, you can place three thinkers living or dead into a room and listening mm. on the conversation. Now, mm. most of the time, this is quite a, a different episode because a lot of the time I'm speaking to people about a specific philosopher. So they'll bring in people who are related. They want to figure something out. But I'm, I'm really interested now in relation to food who, or, well, might just be your own personal people you want to meet, but I'm, I'm really interested to see who, who arrives here. Well, uh, you may be surprised because they are not uh, <laughs> uh, philosophers that are normally uh, connected to food. And uh, food is disseminated in almost all the philosophers, uh, even if uh, very uh, in, non, non, in, in a non-systematic way, in a very rhapsodic way. But of course, I would mention Plato, because the idea of the dialogue itself uh, and conviviality, the dialogue, so the, di the, the uh, Platonic dialogues are very often happening uh, around the table when there are people eating and drinking wine. So the idea of food it is uh, very mm, present, even if it is not thematically addressed, but uh, Socrates uh, is often, uh, is often uh, drinking. He uh, jumped into the houses of the people. So it was um, a very different way to philosophize with respect of today. So I would have liked to, to listen to Plato also because Plato is uh, crucial for everything. And also there are some reflections about food that are very interesting. The second one is uh, <laughs> the, one of the Japanese founders of the Soto Zen school, his name is Dogen from the 12th, 12th century. Um, Dogen, in the Dogen teaching, food, as in many non-Western thinkers, so in the Eastern tradition, by philosophers or thinkers, food uh, plays um, a more evident role, a more important role. In Dogen, you find some uh, very beautiful passages about the importance uh, of uh, cooking as a way to get uh, the illumination. So cooking is a way for wisdom, to reaching wisdom. So this is why I chose Dogen. And also as an example of the non-Western tradition, in this tradition, food uh, has been uh, more, uh, it has been ev evaluated uh, normally uh, in a more clear way, not uh, underestimated as in the Western tradition. And the third one, well, I could have list many more, but the third one, uh, it's also because the book that uh, we are presenting with you today, it's called Taste as Experience. Uh, this book, uh, that I wrote uh, is called Taste as Experience and Taste as Experience, it is a title that is also a sort of homage to Art as Experience by John Dewey. John Dewey, the American philosopher of the 20th century. And I chose John Dewey because John Dewey in the 30s 
of the 20th century. Uh, uh, he was a pioneer in um, uh, trying to break down all the hierarchies, all the philosophical hierarchies between uh, the mind and the body, the high and the low, and also including food into the possible philosophical subject. Uh, there are many passages in his, in his books, but also there are some practical um, examples. For example, uh, Dewey uh, founded a, a cooking school into uh, the university in which uh, he, he taught because he thought that uh, cooking was uh, a perfect way for uh, education. It was the perfect example to how to educate children uh, and students. So Dewey was uh, very much important for uh, the following rise of this uh, tendency to consider food as uh, important for philosophical reason as well. Okay. Okay. So what do you, what do you think the if there is one and it maybe it hasn't carried out throughout history. What do you think the clear difference is then between the the east and west relationship to food? Yes, uh in the eastern tradition there is uh, let's uh, to be very short and very and very dry there is um there is there is there has not been there has not been the hierarchization between high activities intellectual activities and manual activities that we have been accustomed in the west especially with modernity for example in the japanese or Indian traditions, uh, Chinese traditions, there is no the difference between art and artisanship. And so cooking uh, as well as uh, um, creating uh, ikebana or making uh, artifacts with hands, it is considered as a form of art as anyone else in the West. Uh, at a certain point, we have made distinctions uh, based upon uh, a supposed uh, superiority of the intellectual mind with respect to the hands uh, and the gestures and the body. So this affects many fields, uh, also the field of food, because... Uh, in this Eastern context, when I speak to students from Japan or from India or from Asia in general, they do not understand why we need to restore the importance of food because for them it is quite normal. I mean, I am speaking about the traditional thoughts in these places, uh, despite the fact that now also in these countries, in these areas, everything has been uh, globalized. So we can find also in China and in Japan <laughs> very much Western-oriented uh, thinkers and thought. But 
if we if we look at the and the traditional uh, uh, mastery, we find this uh, very important difference between uh, the West and the East. And of course, there are a lot of exceptions in the West as well in the East, but just to make a very general picture, I think this is the main point. Uh, these, these are the main points of the difference. Okay. And, and it seems there that Dewey then... Uh, John Dewey sort of bridges yeah. bridges that gap in a way. That's right. That's right. John Dewey, John Dewey for example, uh, tried to overcome the hierarchy between the superior senses, like the sight and also the hearing for some uh, philosophers. Uh, according to Kant, the only aesthetic sense is the sight. Uh, the sense of beauty is the sight, while also... Uh, for Hegel, is quite the same. While uh, touch, taste, taste, and smell are excluded from the aesthetic realm because they are proximal senses, according to this important tradition of aesthetics of Kant and Hegel, they are proximal senses as they, they, they require a contact between the subject and the object. And because of this, according to them, uh, these senses cannot uh, offer an objective knowledge or a knowledge that is uh, uh, shareable in terms of uh, aesthetic beauty or aesthetic appreciation. And John Dewey uh, break down, br- broke down these hierarchies, uh, focusing instead on how you perceive. So all the senses can be used in an aesthetic way, also taste and also smell. It depends on the attention that you put in the perception. It depends on how you are immersed and attentive to the experience that you are living. So food can be just... uh, uh, intake in a very uh, mindless and superficial way, but if you take food with attention, with care, and also with some expertise, maybe you can have aesthetic experience also through food, thanks to taste and smell and all the senses. I see. So in the, in the German idealist tradition, there it's understood relatively passive, and so we can't really do much with it. Whereas Dewey's moving towards uh, you know, what we'd call experience or being able to develop taste and have an active relationship with it. That makes it's, sense. Right. That makes sense. Okay, okay. I mean, to jump back to your, your first question, your the point you made earlier, um, which really interests me because, especially in relation to the hierarchy of the senses, is even though we all have to see, we all have to hear, these are things we, uh, we you know, we have no choice in, this just happens. Um we also, it seems to me that there's actually, there's more substance to eating because it's a, it's an experience we all have to do. And we actually have a, a, a cultural, sociological, uh, even perhaps a religious relationship with it, which we don't really have with our sight or hearing. These are passive senses in that sense. Whereas, you know, food is this experience we, we undertake th- three, maybe four times a day. Everyone has to do it. It's mandatory. And yet it's still, overlooked in philosophical mm-hmm. history and and mm-hmm. demoted so why 
obviously there's these Kantian and Hegelian reasons of the lesser senses, but do you, do you think there's other reasons why we've we've ignored it? Mm, yes, uh, <laughs> there have been um, many different uh, uh, attempts to explain this. Well, um, it would be very naive to to believe that philosophers and uh, people with a <laughs> clever mind uh, didn't notice that food is important to live. Of course, <laughs> without food, this is, there is a very simple argument. Without food, there is no life. So it, it is a need. It is a biological need. So without food, there is no life. And without life, there is no thought. There is no science. There is no philosophy. So without food, there is no philosophy. We can reverse this. And when the Ludwig Feuerbach in the 19th century uh, stressed that uh, <laughs> the man, the human being is what he hits, uh, is, was addressing this from a materialistic point of view. But this was something that it, was, it has been noted since the beginning of philosophy. Um, paradoxically enough, the idea that we have to, that the, 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 the true philosopher has to put food away in the sense that um, has to put food aside from the tension, has to put food, and food can be dangerous as well. Um, it gives importance to food because if food was totally indifferent for how you think, you should not care about how much food you ingest or not to be uh, too much, uh, not, not to be glutonous, uh, not to be uh, too much overindulging to food. Um, it is because this uh, attention to manage put a limit to the food pleasures, it is the sign of the importance of food. So the first point is not to, 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 to suppose that uh, the past philosophers didn't realize that food was important. Everyone realized that food was important in one sense, but as it is uh, it could be considered as a fuel, as St. Augustine said, food as a medicine, food is a medicine. Because of this, um, it didn't, food did not achieve uh, the status of uh, philosophical dignity. So it is too material. It is something that, too, that it, it is too bodily it, because it affects First of all, our, our flesh, our body. And according to a certain tradition, this, is, uh, this, has, this can have some dangerous cons consequences. Um, you can easily lose control. You can easily lose control uh, if you don't manage it well. Um, um, another very important philosopher said that 
food is uh, fair as well as you take it for the nourishment of the body, but it is very difficult to put a, a sharp barrier between uh, the need and the desire, the need and the pleasure. Because once that you ingest, somehow you lose, you, you are always at risk to lose this control. So the medicine can become a pleasure. And so one of the main points for this overlooking of food, more than overlooking, I would just, I would prefer to, to, to name it as just expulsion of food from the philosophical realm. It, it, it is this, the, the fact that it can bring pleasure. And according to certain philosophical tradition, knowledge is the opposite of pleasure. Knowledge uh, means uh, suffering sometimes, <laughs> or means uh, a kind of focus that is not, uh, uh, does not contemplate uh, uh, pleasure. There are some similarities between uh, food and sex under this respect. And even sex, sex eros, uh, the uh, sexuality has been uh, often neglected as a philosophical theme in the in the Western tradition. Um, very recently, uh, an American philosopher, is also my friend Richard Schusterman, uh, published a book about Ars Erotica, so how we can include uh, Ars Erotica and sexuality into the aesthetic realm. And this is also very recent because uh, most of philosophers, they want to separate the two fields. Now, so if you are too much uh, immersed into, into food or into sex, uh, the risk is not that you are not focused on the important things that uh, are the philosophical questions about. Okay, okay. I mean, when you mentioned these these traditions, that sort of brings us back quite loose, well, somewhat loosely to to Plato, who you put in your room there at the beginning. And I'm thinking of the the Neoplatonic tradition, which has that emphasis on, um, in hmm. in bolstering your connection to the flesh, you're moved away from the divine, the the soul, etc. But do you think that that you know you reference Feuerbach in that connection to the material? Hmm. Do you think that in simply focusing on the material of food, there is there has been this historic oversight in relation to the experiential element, which could be said to be metaphysical? Yeah, this is something that it, it, it has been very well addressed recently. The fact that food is as much material as spiritual. And thanks to psychology, anthropology, and sociology, we have clearly seen that uh, food clearly affects not just the body and the, the bodily pleasures, uh, and, but also very much and very deeply the uh, psychological uh, features of the individual, of the individual and of a community of the society. So food 
conveys values that are social values and cultural values and uh, values that are connected to identity, authenticity, and so on and so on. And if we look from this point of view, even in the West, in the religion, we can see this very clearly. So if we look at the symbolic values of food, it is false to say that they have been overlooked in Western culture, because uh, in, the, in the Christianity, we have symbols of most highest, the highest metaphysical values that are embedded into some food, like well, the wine, the bread, the oil. So from a symbolic point of view, I would say that in religion, there's always been this, uh, this particular attention. And also the idea of convivium, conviviality. It is a metaphor for uh, uh, expressing the human has essence, the fact that the humanity is social. And you use, uh, and we use a, a metaphor, conviviality, that is related to the table, to the fact that we eat together. No, the humans eat together. Humans share the meal. Mm. But this became only recently uh, also a matter of philosophical interest. Mm. So I would say that philosophy arrived later than other fields, uh, re uh, religious, uh, religious studies, anthropology, history, sociology. In these fields uh, also, in, in academia, food um, have been studied earlier as a matter of interest. In history, we find uh, already in the 50s, in the 60s of the 20th century, some uh, uh, the, the, the emergence of studies about the importance of food, and then in anthropology, Levi-Strauss, and so on and so on. So oh, with all this content, with all this content, also philosophers uh, realize that food is not just uh, uh, fuel or materiality as Feuerbach uh, normally uh, is supposed to think, but it's also something else. Feuerbach also added something very interest, uh, interesting because he added, uh, after the famous quotation, that uh, uh, food is uh, the lacking asset between the body and the mind. It is, uh, he said, we have, or we have finally, philosophers have finally found the searching form for bond is nutrition what what they have broken the heads for centuries what can be the link between the the mind and the body and uh, he declares that the link between the mind and the body is food is nutrition because it is the only portion of the external world of the solid external world that 
we put into our body. And so we create this continuous exchange between the inner and the outer through food and uh, with also uh, metaphysical consequences, mental consequences, not just uh, material consequences. Okay, okay. What do you think, I mean, I'm thinking specifically of Western culture here, what do you think happens to culture and specifically food culture when you, no one any longer really on a on a mass level has that attention towards food? And I mean, this is fairly prevalent, I guess, in the UK, in the US, but perhaps not, not so much in Italy or um, other countries. But you know what what do you think we're lacking when we begin to just just consume food as opposed to experience it yeah yes uh it, yeah you are right there are differences from country to country but is it is there are also some similarities uh, because of the spirit of time because of course italy is different from us maybe but Italy today is different from Italy one century ago. So this uh, kind of trends, uh, these trends have followed similar parallel paths in the, in, the, in, the, in the late modernity. And what we miss, we miss, uh, if we think of food just in terms of consumption, uh, we miss uh, the possibility to First of all, to explore our creativity in terms of uh, uh, cooking, so in terms of to use a Nietzsche sentence, to becoming artists of our life, artists of our own life. Uh, food, as it is an everyday activity, both in terms of cooking and of uh, eating, it could be a wonderful tool to make experiments with ourselves. So to prove, uh, to make proofs with ourselves in terms of the body, of the imagination, of uh, food choices. So to use food in a very passive way, uh, just a, as a consumer, passive consumer, uh, it is uh, um, a big, uh, a big loss in terms of the potentialities that we can have through food. But um, yeah, the culture of consumption is very much linked not just to pure disattentiveness which is something, but also to, the, to a different kind of reductionism. The reductionism of food just as uh, um, scientific uh, compounds, nutrients, that today uh, there are people that think that they are looking carefully toward food because they just focus on calories. Mm -hmm. And calories, in my opinion, just the ideology of just calories is the pure 
pandan of the consumption culture. So we should uh, find the way of taste, attention, and education that is a way that is between uh, indifference and uh, attention just to uh, <clears throat> caloric contents, which is a kind of reductionist that, uh, reductionism that uh, it's not helping too much, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it sort of reduces food to a level which is entirely really unrelated to its actual substance. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also to the processes that uh, make this food possible. I mean, food is um, something that can be seen also, uh, to put in this way, as a as a story. So every food that we we, 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 we handle every day as a story, can be a story of, uh, uh, of joy, of uh, happiness, can be a story of sufferance, can be a story of uh, pure mechanical processes, can be a story of uh, uh, artisans and farmers. Uh, so there are many stories behind uh, each food that we eat, And we should, in my opinion, uh, focus on this. What's what's behind taste? What comes before hmm? the the taste as a moment of consumption? So taste is important, but as John Dewey said, the real uh, taster, the, the expert taster is someone that when tastes something, he can go goes back to the processes, to the sources, to what's before, what make this taste possible. So this is what we miss. This is what we miss. This is what most important in my philosophy. Uh, I am a, a process philosopher, not uh, an object uh, philosopher. So I am much more caring about uh, um, a phenomenology where the processes are uh, uh, are at the center, not the objects. Uh, so we should uh, move, in my opinion, through food from uh, an object-oriented philosophy to a process-oriented philosophy. And I am convinced that uh, food is a is a is a good is a good uh, example of this. Mm-hmm. Do you mean that in the sense that, um, I guess, metaphorically speaking, the the idea of digestion is that mm. understanding of the things which is behind the food and in mm. the in the process of I don't want to say consuming because I don't like that word in the process of eating and digesting you are equally uh, mm. doing so on a higher level as well. Yes, yes, exactly. But even going beyond the pure uh, enjoyment of taste, because sometimes, uh, especially, for example, in the wine culture, um, there is this idea that an expert is someone that just can recognize the flavors, the flavors, uh, just uh, fruits and flowers uh, and black currant uh, and pineapples. And 
but these are just the final outcomes and uh, the the real expert the real connoisseur uh, uh, is someone that connects these flavors to the sources so where this wine come from why this wine is made in in such way so this is the idea to to, to have a kind of active engagement toward food. It's not just uh, about uh, recognition of some flavors uh, or some kind of uh, very, very superficial enjoyment, but something deeper than that. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the terms of the sense of sight, you know, we see certain symbols and our experiences mm-hmm. bring up images of them. And I guess in the, in the sense of taste, you taste these certain elements, you develop that sense of taste, which I'm sure we'll comment on, but you develop that sense of taste in such a way that you can bring about deeper images in relation to food. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And is this where your this is something I wanted to bring in because I know you use it quite a lot throughout your book. Is this where for you the the your um, idea of naked taste comes in? Yes. Um, the <laughs> naked taste um, it is opposed in the book to the dressed taste. I call naked pleasure or naked taste and dressed taste. Um, it's a metaphor that um, um into questions the idea of nudity and uh, of being dressed uh, in the sense that we are naked when uh, we were born. We have no clothes when we are born. So the idea is that we can have a perception, a a, a mode of perception, a modality of perception that is like, that is as we were just infant, before being... uh, um, covered uh, with uh, rules and codes and instructions. The naked pleasure, it is a kind of spontaneous uh, um, spontaneous enjoyment of food that it is not uh, without context, of course, but it is something that the perceiver uh, approaches in such a naive way. And I say that, uh, in my opinion, it is good to, to, to maintain this naked pleasure even when we are not children anymore, even in adulthood. It is like uh, when... Uh, in other contexts, uh, philosophers or scholars say that uh, adulthood should not lose the, the enjoyment of playing, no? the importance of continues to play uh, in, in life. It's not that when you're adult, you, you stop playing. So the idea is that naked pleasure is a kind of spontaneous, uh, immediate um, food uh, perception and uh, we have the legacy of uh, 
maintaining this. But then, of course, as we grow, we are immersed into a complex systems of rules, of, the, of codes, and so the, we start to, to, to dress. And also our taste become dressed. And dressed taste is the taste of the culture, is the taste of the identity, is the, is the awareness that uh, I am what I am because I eat what I eat. And the difference between the places, between the, the communities. Uh, so, of course, often the two levels, the naked pleasure and the dressed taste, uh, often they are interwoven. There, there are no sharp, sharp distinctions between them. But uh, in the book, uh, I wanted to clarify the two different perceptual modalities. And so I, I brought many examples of uh, uh, the naked pleasure and many examples for the naked, for the dressed taste, just to, to describe possible different experiences that uh, we can have with, uh, with food. Spontaneous, immediate uh, uh, enjoyment, that is legitimate in some context, in some occasions, in some experiences, and more cultivated and aware taste that is uh, very legitimate uh, and also uh, totally understandable in other occasions and in other contexts. So my idea was to make them uh, Mm, relate related make them not uh, totally one is good, the good and the bad or the the, the 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 high and the low but make give them both of them a, a chance to to be considered in a positive way because it depends on the experience so the idea of the book that uh, each taste is legitimate as it is uh, uh, attuned to the experience that you are making. There is no uh, the, the true and the false in, met, in taste matters. Uh, it depends really on the situation. A taste is always situated, is always immersed, is never um, outside. Uh, it's, we can just uh, leave the taste that we are having from the inside. There is not the possibility to observe taste from the outside. Hmm? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so before the taste is even allowed to enter into all these habitual conditions mm -hmm. which have been put on us, which we could sort of underline as personality or social mm -hmm. connections, you know, our... Mm. Uh, analytical understanding of what food is before any of them even meet it the taste mm. itself just speaks as it is yeah yeah yes of course it's also the idea that uh, feelings are very important eh? taste is about uh, how we feel uh, before concepts before how we verbalize it this is 
an idea. Uh, it's also a kind of uh, claim against the uh, the power of verbaliza verbalization of everything. So I think that should be good also to to appreciate food and taste with a lot of attention, but this attention doesn't mean always uh, conceptualization and verbalization. It can also be tacit, can also be something that uh, is not expressed in, uh, in verbal words. <laughs> and, uh, and this relationship with, with food in that sense where it's not, verbalized or Michel Sao would say not overtaken by the first tongue is that how you feel how we develop a genuine taste um i would not i, I don't know if if we call we can call it genuine maybe um i would say that there are different levels orders of reality uh, there is a reality in which uh, Mm, we need to share uh, taste uh, um, through mm, through word, through the tools, the instruments of verbalization, um, and it is also something very useful and very beautiful to do. Uh, something that we, when when we do, uh, we are often happy. Um, the idea of sharing. Um, uh, tastes, uh, preferences with other. It can be very, very important mo moment of socialization. Socialization, but um, the risk, on the other hand, can be that uh, um, if we if we just do this, we lose. We may lose the inner experience that we are making with food. I also, I would like not to lose this, this part, the part of the experience that each of us make as a individual feeling and that uh, cannot necessarily has to be shared in 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 verbal in verbal at least not through uh, verbal concepts so i don't know if it is more genuine but uh, i would prefer to say that there are two different levels two different orders and uh, they are not uh, necessarily one against the other they emerge in different situations so there is a kind of conviviality uh, with food that can be reached even if we taste food alone, so without other people. So if we enter into a kind of active relationship with the food that we are eating, we can develop a kind of uh, conviviality with food. So food becomes, uh, to speak in a very phenomenal, phenomenological way, can become a quasi-subject in itself. It's not an object, but uh, it is a subject. It is a subject with which we conversate, 
without words. So it's just a different possibility. It's just to an extension of the possibility that we can have with food. Okay. okay. Um, one thing. One thing I want to to touch on that that I thought was really interesting in the book. Um, you quote Calvino when he says, yeah. "Only uh, tasting is the only kind of travel that has a meaning." Uh, and you mentioned, you know, this idea of local cuisine, restaurants, Chinese, Italian, mm. etc., being sort of counterfeit. And is that in relation to the fact that um, I, I've used the word again, but a genuine cuisine restaurant within its original location is drawing mm. on that actual location for its cuisine, whereas when it goes somewhere else, it has to use British produce to create an Italian dish, so it can never truly be the same. Yeah, uh, Calvino uh, novel is uh, belongs to a, a, <laughs> an age that seems very far from from now. It is 1985, so it is 35 years old uh, ago. He he, he told. Uh, uh, about television, no? He op- make the opposition between the real travel and the television show. Mm-hmm. So, of course, today this seems uh, prehistoric, <laughs> prehistoric age in one sense, and uh, so the world is so globalized that you can find authentic local cuisines independently from uh, the places that they are labeled. So you can, paradoxically, you can find a more authentic local Italian cuisine from a certain uh, region in New York or in London, (laughs) <laughs> then uh, in uh, in Italy, in Italy there are a lot of uh, fake restaurants of Italian cuisine that they are just for tourists and that they know they don't know. So this is uh, something that is true everywhere. Um, and so um, this calls for two things. One, we can put this in two ways. One is of course, being more expert, becoming more expert. So if you are expert, uh, very much expert, you can you can discover the fakes or at least you can orient yourself into this and uh, avoiding the uh, counterfeits, the fades, the frauds. And of course, this is something that is good, but There is also another possibility that is to connect authenticity, not just to the the dish, to the food eaten, but to the experience, the whole experience again. And the whole experience include the atmosphere, the site, the place. So not just the, the dish, it's not just the object. And this is something that you cannot replace because maybe you can eat a very good and authentic dish of Italian cuisine in New York, but you are not in Italy. 
So what you miss is the context. What you miss is the fact that you exit the door of the restaurant and you are in New York and you are not in Tuscany or uh, wherever. And so I think that this is also interesting to start to, to, to connect authenticity or genuineness, not just to the features of the object eaten, that is something for sure. So it's not that doesn't count, it counts, but I have the suspicion that this is not enough to consider an experience authentic. What is authentic is the is again the process. Uh, what, what what's behind the fact that you are eating? Uh, where this uh, uh, travel? So the idea of traveling, uh, it is a, in itself an experience that is worth to make, even if uh, maybe you meet some fake restaurants, because the experience that you perceive into this uh, travel was authentic. And then maybe some restaurants were not authentic, but uh, yeah. So this is the, the idea. Um, it's very difficult now today to, to um, to discern what is authentic and what is not authentic just by the places, especially uh, if you travel in very touristic places, of course, it's very difficult to, to be sure that the experiences that you are making are authentic. Okay, okay. Um, is there anything you'd like to, to add about your, your book that you feel we've, uh, we've missed? No, it's just um, maybe the, the, there is one concept that uh, I have um, uh, tried to propose as uh, the consequence of all these arguments, that is the wisdom of taste. Um, I think that um, um, trying to make this um, process of ongoing and never-ending education and uh, to be becoming sensible to all these differences, to all the situations. Uh, so becoming more and more flexible. Uh, it is what I call wisdom of taste. Wisdom of taste is um, the capability of being attuned to the different encounters with the experience of food. There are some experiences in which uh, you just have to relax and enjoy, uh, make it pleasure without thinking about what you are eating and without any kind of, uh, um, of um, constrictions. So there are situations and experience in which it is instead needed a more cultural attention. So being able to, to, to shift from one situation to another and to be flexible, uh, it is what I think uh, um, we should learn 
And I call this uh, wisdom of taste. I like the, the word wisdom and I like the, the word wise instead of expert because wise is less linked to some very much specific and codified rules. A wise man, a wise woman can be also someone that has no cultivation in uh, uh, in scholarly terms so we can have we can meet wise men that are almost an alphabet or totally an alphabet but they are good in orienteering in life so i think that with taste it is something similar competence is welcome expertise is welcome uh, instructions are welcome but uh, they should not uh, prevail on this uh, uh, sensibility that is something that we can make in the experience itself, and not something that we learn uh, at school or something that we learn theoretically. We have to be immersed and going with the flow, the current of life and the current of experience and adapting uh, oneself to all these differences. Wow. Okay. That was uh, very articulate. Um, are you are you working on any books? I know you've uh, recently, was it fairly recently released your book on the experience of wine? Yeah. In which I try to, yeah, to develop this idea with respect to, to the case of wine in particular. So I, um, I try to elaborate this uh, idea of wisdom uh, um, like with this book that is called Epistemology, Wine as Experience, uh, which uh, runs parallel arguments, um, I think, uh, in a more elaborated way, but on the same line. So it was published just a few months ago by Columbia University Press, and uh, now I'm working on uh, topics that are not directly related to food, because sometimes I need to take also a break from food studies. So I study also other fields of, philo uh, of philosophy. I am studying uh, ecological aesthetics in particular this time. Okay. Which, do you mind if I ask which, which, sort of, uh, which philosophers are you drawing on for the ecological aesthetics? Uh, Dewey, Merleau-Ponty, Merleau so the it's a, it's a combination between uh, uh, phenomenological tradition and the pragmatist tradition, and also James Gibson, the psychology of perception. So uh, there are not two different references from the references that I use uh, with food, but... Uh, um, it's more focused on uh, uh, the ecology of perception and uh, aesthetics as uh, a discipline that has to do with this idea of um, uh, perceiving the world um, not as a world made of object, but as a, as a world made of processes in a, in a, in a, in a global terms. 
and this has uh, many consequences and uh, um, yeah something like this of this kind okay. um whereabouts can we find your your work sorry whereabouts could we can we find your 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 books where uh yeah for for sale whereabouts are they just sort of everywhere or yeah i think so yes uh, I, of course I, I live in italy so i'm not uh, in italy you can book them uh, the english books only online through amazon and all the digital uh, bookshop and uh, i don't know <laughs> uh, the availability in the in the physical bookshops in uh, in uh, other countries but uh, i I think that Columbia University Press uh, has a very, very good uh, uh, selling service. So I think that they are quite available now. I have not uh, still, as it is something very recent, this book, I still have no feedback, but I think that it's easy to find. You can can just uh, Google uh the title and uh, you will see very easily where you can get it okay Great. um that seems like a good place to finish up uh nicolo peruno thanks very much <laughs>